slightly one of the elders here. Um, I have an appalling memory. It's, it's, it's getting, and it's getting worse. Um, now, I think it's partly just the way I'm wired. Certain things don't log in my memory and other things do. Names, I'm terrible. So I can't remember your name, mate. <laughs> and I was introduced to this guy this morning. I'm like, it just goes in and straight out again. I have to very quickly try and think, how do I remember a name? It just is that part of my brain is terrible. Um, and maybe it's age, maybe it's getting worse. I don't know. But it is really difficult for me to remember things for some reason. But there are some things, there are some things that I can remember in fantastic detail. Um, and it's odds, yeah? But some events I can recount dates, times, names of people. I can tell you who was there. I can tell you the temperature. I can tell you the weather. I can even tell you how it smelt on that day. I can tell you who I spoke to. And here is one of mine. Ah, isn't she pretty? And the bloke with her. That's my wife, Jane. That is me with dark hair. Um, and us getting married. Um, I can remember that. It's November the 29th, 1997. It was in Royston, a place uh, called Hayden Grange, which was a Tudor converted sort of barn that they converted. Um, I remember lots. Of, I remember the weather. It was windy. It was quite cold. It was wet on the floor, but it wasn't actually raining, but it was windy. Um, it was a bit overcast. Jane looked stunning. She, I thought she looked like Mariah Carey. I was like, yes, score. And... Um, my late, my big nan was there, and lots of my relatives were there. I could name most of my relatives that were there. I can name most of my friends there just from memory. Um, friends from work came. I could tell you who they were. We had a, a, an event in the evening where uh, my brother spilled his drink into my friend's wife's shoe. Her name was Nancy. He poured beer in her shoe, didn't tell her. She put her foot in her shoe later and pulled this horrendous face. Um, Steve, her husband, was a guitarist. Steve Summerfield was his name. Very good guitarist, very good singer. So I'm going to sing the first song for the couple. It's their song and sang Make It With You, which, by the way, is not our song. It's a little bit of song about, frankly, getting it on. So he's singing that in front of all my relatives. I think, this is not our song. What are you doing, Steve? I can remember that. During the day in the wedding itself, I remember this guy. This is Craig and Sue Lister. Craig's on the left, his wife Sue below. Um, he was the guy who spoke uh, recently at a men's breakfast. You might recognize him if you came to that. Uh, Craig's there. He's, um, the, he was the worship leader at our church at the time. We said to Craig, you know, because he's such a good player, we said, could you just do a song for us and sort of sing it like to us, but kind of just to the, the congregation because our family, they just sing it over us as well. And he's like, yeah, no problem, I can do that. And he gets up and he's, he's taped the words and the chords to the body of his guitar and he's looking down and he's just strumming away and he's pretty cool looking, Craig. And he's just like, strumming thinking man this is a long intro Craig and he keeps strumming and he's, we're looking at him and we're thinking something's not right and his wife's looking at him thinking something's not right and he starts singing the a song but it wasn't the song it was the words to the song and the chords of something but it was not the song it was a song that is called there is none like you there is none like you he started going there is none like you and I'm like what are you doing he completely and utterly forgot the song and just made it up on the spot, sung out this random once-in-a-lifetime version of There Is None Like You that will never exist again. Terry McGovern, Aaron's dad, Aaron and Adam's dad, did the ceremony, married us in this place. It was a wonderful day. I was marrying my soulmate. 
and it was just fantastic. And all the years of pain in a really horrible relationship that went terribly wrong for me was gone. And we were just thanking God for his grace and his mercy and how he'd restored everything that had been stolen from me emotionally and personally. He made all things new. I could go on and on and on. It was a wonderful day. Now, would any of you like to challenge me that that's not true? It is true. I didn't make it up, by the way, just to be clear. But anyone want to challenge me about that day? Say, Andy, that did not happen. You did not feel that way. That's not who was there. That's not the facts. That wasn't the weather. These, these things you're now telling me are incorrect. None of you are going to do it. Are oh, you not going to challenge me about this day? If I was to tell someone at work about that, some friend I'd met in a running club, some colleague of mine, I said, this is how my wedding day was, and these things were what's going on. Do you think he'd get to the end of that, or she'd say to me, don't think that happened. No, don't think that happened. I don't think that's true. They wouldn't challenge me for what I was telling them that I had experienced. I was there. I was there. I'm the first-hand witness, and you can ask my wife too. We were the first-hand witnesses for that incredible, wonderful moment for us. We're going to come back to my wedding later. You're going to see other pictures of my wedding, by the way, as we go through the day. Um, and you'll realise that I am one blessed guy. Um, but because Jay looks amazing in every photograph, I look like a bad member of Spandau Ballet, if you know who that is. Um, anyway, but wonderful day. But what, when I say first-hand witness, what does it mean when we talk about witness? The word witness. The word witness is in the ESV version of the Bible 186 times. You can add more if you want to put witnessing or witnesses, witnessed. If you put all witness words in, you get hundreds of references. It's in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. It's in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. It's right throughout it. Uh, Jesus said, and it's recorded in Acts 1.8, yeah, the one we often hear and know, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a lot to that quote, by the way. There's a lot about the places he's referencing, but the point is he says, you will be my witnesses, and all over the Bible it talks about witness, 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 which is um, interestingly what's been said a lot already this morning. It's a significant thing to witness, okay? I think we hopefully understand that. So in bog standard, traditional three-point preaching style, here comes my three points, my three what's. What is a witness? What does it cost? And what is it worth? So what is a witness? So Luke, there you go, that's a nice lovely picture of us. Uh, Luke 24, 48. Jesus says to his disciples, you are witnesses to these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Anyone who's been near me for the last five or six weeks know that that scripture just is stuck on my mouth. It just keeps coming out over and over again. The reminder of, do this, but don't do this on your own. Wait for me to help you to do this. Send the power of the Holy Spirit that you might be my witnesses. But what are they witnesses to? What is he asking them to be witnesses to? What are they going to witness about? And like any good uh, scripture exploration, we shouldn't grab sound bites of bits and pieces. We should look at the, the broader context and we could go much further than I'm going to go now, but at least look at the scripture that wraps around it. So I'm going to go 44 to 48. And let's look at it again. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
and said to them, this, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day will rise from the dead and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem's, you are witnesses of these things, therefore wait in the city until the power comes from on high and off you go. So what is a witness? A witness is someone who tells of what they have seen, what they saw. Yeah, They, they are called reliable witnesses when they can back it up and say, and there's some other things about that. I can, you can name specific details, maybe times or people, the weather, um, what you heard, what you felt, understood, reactions that were going on at the time. Once you can add stuff to that, you're becoming more and more of a reliable witness. If I nearly did this, but I'm not going to do it. If I picked on someone in this room who has a frighteningly good memory, it's Dave Abraham. It's a little scary. Because he said, when you preached three years ago and you said that word, I'm like, what? I can't remember what I preached last week. And you're bringing stuff up. If I asked Dave to detail his wedding, he would get up here and Stevie, they would just tell you all this stuff. But if I asked them to detail my wedding, they would only have that reference that I've got. They've got nothing to bring out. If I started asking them to talk about it, they talk about what they experienced, what they witnessed. My point is here, when it comes to Jesus, what are you a witness to? What are we a witness to? What is it that we can say of what happens? Do we think that just, do we solely think that being a witness when we read it as a Bible is some ability to recount the Bible and use it to explain to people stuff about Jesus? Now, please do not, before Matt Nell just walks out the room, do not hear what I'm not saying. Know your Bible. Cherish it, love it, explore it. It teaches us so much about who God is, and it's, and it's not just a reference manual. It speaks to our souls. It helps us to move forward. When we read it in the Spirit, things in us start to change, and it helps shape us. But that's not solely what witnessing is about. Witnessing is about more than that. So you are a witness to your story. You are the prime witness to your story, to your story, which is kind of what, you know, someone gets up like Jade and shares that. That is a witness to her story of what's gone on in her life and how God's grace has seen her through that. She is a witness to that. No one can say, oh, sorry, Jade, I don't agree with that. You, you can't. She's telling you from her firsthand experience, let me witness to you, share with you what God has done in my life. We could talk about when things happened, what happened, where it was. How does it affect us? That was even brought out there. How things have changed our perspective. How we now view eternity because of moments of engagement with God, be it our salvation or be it just a journey we've been on and certain high points and moments and certain low points when you're down and God picks you up. These are the things that you are, we are witnesses to. If nothing else, I, who's not confident in witnessing in the way that we think about it, can tell those stories to my family, tell those stories to my uncle, my aunt, my friend, my work colleague. I should be much more comfortable telling them these stories as a way to enter into this is Jesus and then I'll, I'll tell you about him. But, but my ability to witness is often hampered by my fear of what might they ask me. What if I say this thing and then they start to, to go at it and I think I can't answer all your questions I've opened up this can of worms, end times. Let's talk about that as a first entry. Let's talk about creationism as a first way of introducing you to God. Let's just stamp on that landmine and see what happens. You are a first-hand witness to what God is doing and has done in your lives. 
The book of the Bible is a gift. It's an incredible gift. It's the story behind the story. It's the, it's the thing behind everything that's going on in our lives. And it's not always about saying, everything's just so amazing, you need to know how great my life is, so you'll want Jesus. Sometimes it is everything sucks, and it's really tough, but somehow God is getting me through this. That is still a witness. But the Bible is also a book of witness. I mean, if you look at it, if you look at it, if you look at the Gospel of Mark, for example, it's just one thing, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. The story of Paul on the road to Damascus is he's walking and this happens and God, Jesus appears to him and then he goes here and this happens. It's, it's a story. It's a telling of what's happened. The witness is these things were happening and you become engaged in those stories. My point is, yes, know this, know this understand this. Understand uh, there's a lot of stuff in here that is telling you what's going on and it's really rich and deep stuff. But often our way of leading into this is better if you tell your story too. Start with what God has done for you. I tell you that I shared briefly about my wedding. I had a horrible first relationship. I had been married before. Now some people find that difficult with a pastor, but my wife ran off with a guy into another country and never came back. I was in such pain and difficulty and I thought, my, this is just going to be, my life is destroyed. And there was nights when I was so alone. And I was literally alone. I was up in the north of the country, up in Manchester. No friends, no church. The church I kept trying to go to but just wasn't, wasn't right. It just wasn't welcoming. And I'm up there on my own crying because everything I thought was going to happen has just fallen apart. And yet God sent people around me friends, people who are in, some are still in this church now, to, to get me through that, to hold me through that. God lifted me up out of that and said, this is not the end. And I remember times of just praying to him and just crying, thinking, what, what's going to happen now? This is as bad as I thought it would ever get. You know, I'm on my own, literally just sat in this silly cottage in the middle of a, the Peak District. There's no houses around, there's no neighbours on my own. And we did have mobile phones, so uh, there was no signal where I was. So I just literally sat there. God got me through that. He lifted me up and he carried me through and he sent people to help me. If I tell you that story, are you not listening? Would you just drift off? What did he just say? I don't mean that as a thing of showing off. You were listening, weren't you? Yeah? I start telling you about, and I believe this around this particular topic of the Bible, you, I know what it's like. What did he just say? The moment I start telling you, listen, I'm telling you from first-hand experience, this is what God has done for me. You're listening. Especially if it's, it's not always about great outcomes. It's about in the difficulties, in the times of struggle. As I'm sure we were all gripped as Jay got up and spoke. We're not thinking, what did she just say? We're all listening intently because it's someone speaking from their personal experiences of what God is actually doing. Now, even when you share, even when you do, we do, hopefully, share more of what God's done in our lives, people will disagree with you. They will. They're not going to agree with anything, but they can't say you're lying and they can't dispute the facts because I'm telling you directly, this is me talking to you. It's not me talking about something else that I'm not referencing to you. I'm telling you literally straight to you. They can't say, no, you didn't feel that way. No, uh, it does not mean what you said it meant if you're talking about what God has done in your life. And telling stories is a key part of how the gospel has spread. Over many years, it's the telling of stories. A lot of the, the stuff, we keep thinking of the book, and of course, a lot of people were just passing this on verbally, one to another. 
the stories of the Bible being told over and over again. But also it was a way in which lots of people did share what God had done. And there was a thing 20 plus years ago maybe in this nation, we used to have a thing called tracts. Some of us will remember, some of us are thinking, are you thinking about part of your, no, a tract was, a, was a, usually a trifold bit of A4. That was the bog standard tract or a piece of paper like that thin with my story on. And people used to write their stories out and give it out. So a tract is up there. It's a short piece of writing, especially on religious or political subject that is intended to influence other people's opinions. So like a, like a tiny pamphlet. And people used to give these out. You see people on the streets giving out their tracts. Very, very rare now. Um, but it was our story. It was our short story of what God had done in our lives, how God had either, you know, our salvation moment or how he got us to do something or how he'd spoken to us and we often shared. Some, and then we would talk, there was usually a gospel message in there too. This is, this is my encouragement to you as a result of you, me telling you my story or the perspective from my life. It was often, this is where I used to be, this is where I am now. Let me tell you how you can experience the same. Well, I think we're really out of practice with that. I don't think we've got that in our psyche anymore. We don't do that. Often it was kind of like an entry-level church thing. Some of you remember doing this. You know, it's kind of some point in that you'd have a track writing day and you, some people still do it, but it's quite rare. But we'll be writing our tracks, writing it, and it had to be short because you had to get it on a little, you didn't give someone a book, you know, a pamphlet of nine pages. This thing was supposed to be, you know, literally they're walking down the high street and it's like, and they're reading it, if they didn't throw it away, of course, but they're reading it quickly because they're not going to read your life story in detail. I was born in Harrow, I went to this school. There's none of that's important. It's just you want to get to the kind of the point quite quickly because people have only got a certain attention span even back then. For us who are worrying about witnessing because we're worried about our theological muscle, our ability to kind of speak theologically about stuff, I just want us to be released a little bit today. I want us to be released a little bit in our witnessing and our sharing. I want us to be able to talk about the Christ that has put a hope in me. And, and in 1 Peter 3.15, it's interesting, some of the words here. This is quite a well-known scripture as well. It talks about always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. For the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I think sometimes scriptures arrest you a little bit. You've read them a lot of times before. But think, okay, so it's not saying, look, here's the, be ready to argue these points. One of the things that we're encouraged to do in scripture, one of the things, is be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. What is the, so someone needs to hear of the hope that is in you. Yeah, they need to hear, hear that and then ask, why would you, how would you, what's, what's going on here? If that's what you're saying, you were, you have a hope in this situation. So you need to know that hope that is in you. So we have to tell them about what's going on in us. I think I was thinking before about, I love courtroom dramas. One of my favourite things in, in the films is courtroom dramas. And if you haven't watched Chernobyl, by the way, it's a great series. It's a bit harrowing because it's a true story of that nuclear disaster. But there's a, there's a court case at the end and that bit was me like, oh, I love it. And, and, and one of the ones that, you know, typical court cases where you have, you have your prime witnesses, the ones that saw it, and, and they are given, the eyewitness is given a lot of weight and credibility. Yeah, we'll listen to the, the eyewitness account, and that's got a lot of weight. And then there's some things we're thinking, well, there's only so much that person knows, and therefore we need the, the technical expert to come in. 
who can answer these other technical questions. So often when we're witnessing, I would just encourage you to say, look, I'm giving you my eyewitness account. If you ask me a technical question, I may know the answer, but if I don't, I can actually go to and bring in maybe even the technical expert on that who can help with this part. Don't think you have to be able to deal with every challenging question that may come as a result. Psalm 66 as well, 16, says, says that out there. That again was a bit of, ah, that's an interesting uh, phrase I'd skipped past for many years, Psalm 66, 16. Come and hear all you have fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Tell you what he has done for my soul. So telling people what he has done for my soul is, is, a, is a critical part of what we are called to do. Telling people about Jesus, God's grace and mercy, telling it from a first-hand witness perspective is powerful and far less scary. So here is a challenge for this week. You're going to write a tract. Go old school. You can type it, by the way. You, don't have, you can do it in your phone. Just have something that counts words. Have a go. It'll come up probably in your group uh, midweek as well. But 200 words. Have a go at a 200-word this is the reason for what I, the hope I have in me. This is what God has done for my soul in 200 words. 200 words takes about a minute to a minute and a half to say. Okay? Um, it's like an elevator pitch. We use the term these days. Elevator pitch, you know, hopefully you know what that is, but it's this thing about if you get in an elevator at the ground floor and you go to the 20th floor of a building, you have about one minute. And the idea is that in that elevator is someone you're trying to pitch an idea to and you have a minute. And it's called the elevator pitch to, to tell them, right, uh, now I've got you in the lift, blah, 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 and you've got one, you know, about a minute before they get out of the lift. And at the other end of the journey, they either, they either walk off or they turn around and go, we need a meeting. Now, I don't want to compare that too much to sharing the gospel, all right? We're not trying to go that kind of naff business way, but it's that it's the reason for that is that, you know, people's attention spans have always been short. And if if within a minute there's there's okay, say some more about that reason for the hope that is in you. That's what you're hoping might come out of that. Some of us are either rusty, I'm rusty at this. I think most of my sharing my faith is waffly and long and a little bit frankly lost at times. Because I start trying to think, well, you must be thinking this, or you might be worried about that, and I'm trying to deal with every doubt as their face scrunches up. And I don't often tell a bit of my own personal story out of practice, or some of us just flat avoid it, because we don't feel confident enough to, to say or to share something. And so all I will say to you is that if this series is what it's about, and this is what it's about, we're in this series about you know, being able to, to be on life on mission, yeah? get out there and share um, the good news. Well, if the series is right and we've started to work through it, we're starting to connect with people, which hopefully we're, we're starting to try and do. I'm starting to try and figure out how I do that. I've just taken up the habit of talking to people at random at the moment because I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not very, I'm terrible at that kind of walk up to anyone and talk to them. Some people are just natural at that. Um, I have to work at it. So I just started saying hello to random people just to see if they go away. They don't, none of them, they all go hi. On an aeroplane, I fly all the time, as most of you know, it's my job, and sit down next to the person. I'm thinking, I'm, you know, we are this far apart, and we just don't look at the person, don't look at them, whatever you do, don't make any eye contact. Well, I'm literally going, hi, how are you doing? What are you here for? I'm trying to do that, because not that I'm necessarily, I'm going to witness to this guy. I'm thinking, just get in the habit of brokering conversations. But what happens if that person starts to chat to you? And, and they ask you something, you're thinking, this is it. 
this is the moment. This is the one bit where they've actually said to me, so tell me a little bit about the industry states. So I'm like, tell me a little bit about yourself. And you're thinking, this is it. They've just asked me, I've got my chance. And you go, I work in a consultancy business and I kind of do training and I because I wasn't ready. (laughs) So this is trying to say, get ready. Yeah, if God's doing what he's doing, and I pray he is in us as a church, get ready for when that person says, tell me something about you, what, what's your story then? You go, well, you know, kind of, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I go to church, you know, I, I'm, uh, you're thinking, well, here we go then. The door is open. Now I go, no, let's kind of get that. Let's get used to that. Let's pray God will give you divine opportunity to do that very thing. But hopefully when it happens, you don't go, oh, no, I don't know what to say. I go to church. Okay, I go to Tesco. Great, good. Okay, so if we have a desire to connect, let's get ready for it. 200 words, easy squeezy, job done, share your testimony. Church is full in two months. We will have to get more chairs, no problem. But that's the thing, isn't it? That's, that's a rosy picture of what's going to happen. And my second what acknowledges, and it's already come out a little bit this morning, there's a cost. There is, there is risk, even in this, me trying to make it more free. It's not a risk-free situation. And so it isn't going to be without challenge. And so I just want to spend a little while on what is the cost. Um, That scripture I referenced before. So um, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, just like we rolled back um, Luke before, looked at the wider context. We don't do a soundbite. Let me me roll back a little bit more in, in this verse. I'll do 1 Peter 14 to 17. 15's in the middle. Let's, Let's hear it again. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear then, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behaviour in Christ, may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than, doing, than for doing evil. Suffer, slandered, reviled. So, brothers and sisters, in a minute or two I'm going to talk about what it's worth, because we know it's worth it, but, but anything that's worth anything has a cost. And you just heard about a church that is suffering the cost of continuing with what they believe in. I'm indebted to Matt Nell for kind of reminding me as I was just chatting to him about what I was going to share this week about reminding me about Acts 2 and Acts 7. Now, if you don't know your Bible, but Acts 2 is Pentecost and the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples and out goes Peter and he shares this incredible speech um, full of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 come to salvation. That's witnessing. Look what happens when you witness. But we forget Acts 7. In Acts 7, Stephen does something very similar, gives an incredible testimony, and is stoned to death. The word witness, again, this was pointed out to me this week, and actually Matt... Um, Matt pointed out to me, and then Brian walks up to me this morning and says, do you know this? And it's like, yes, I do know this, because it's written on a piece of paper right in front of me. The Greek word, sorry, Mr. Click for you. The Greek word that we, we get, which we use as witness, is, the, is this word. Now, I'm probably saying it wrong, but martyrus. 
It's the word we use for martyr. It's the, it's the Greek word. We have witness, yeah? We, the word trans, we've translated as witness. The word is actually where the word martyr comes from. We need to accept that witnessing will be costly. And for some, it's costed them their lives. And in this case, you've just heard, will cost them their freedom. They will be likely imprisoned soon. We need to accept that witnessing can be costly. We're not going to be stoned in this culture at the moment. And, and I pray never, but, but there's every chance in the future it may get more and more difficult, as it, as it no doubt has over the last few decades. You should know that. But we should be prepared to face loss, awkwardness, the death of a good relationship, the death of a, of, a, of, a, of a contact we had at work that we used to chat to, because there might be costs in here. We should be prepared for that cost. We could be prepared for potentially, I remember at work being quite ridiculed and mocked as a god-botherer. And I was, the, I was the really cool guy. I did everything right. I was DJ, musician, played football. Everyone thought Andy was really cool. And then I turned to Jesus and I'm just this sandal-wearing god-botherer. That's what they used to call me. And I went from like that status to this kind of being mocked by a group of people. Now, I admit that is nothing compared to some of the persecution that people will face, but we should not be surprised when we see pushback. But Matthew 5.11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Is it worth it? It's the question, the last question. What is it worth? I'll take about five minutes on this and then I'll give us some time to, to pray. How do you feel about miracles? How excited would you be to see a miracle? Like in this building, on a Sunday morning, you see a full-blown miracle. I'm sure you'd be so excited to see it. There's a great preach by Francis Chan about this. A miracle right here, today. If someone had lost their sight and was blind and we believe they could see again and we pray and they regain their sight, right here you'd be so thrilled as would i and our desire and our momentum to go bring another one get a deaf one everyone let's go down the crematorium let's go well not the crematorium that wouldn't work would it ashes no but let's go down the cemetery let's go down there come on let's just go get one of them up let's do that we'd be so excited if someone or something like that did happen amongst us and and the reality is some things like that have happened in our church I have prayed for your health so many times, Lorraine, though. There's the reality. I prayed for Bethany Ward Wilson's foot so many times, and it's not healed yet. I prayed for Becky Smith's sciatic nerve that is still causing her a lot of pain. But I've done it with passion and conviction and over and over again, believing healing may not have come yet, but I believe God is listening and he will fulfill those prayers if we just continue with passion and excitement. I've heard stories of Jill Wiles' healing that is a miraculous story of God's intervention. Hannah Mann-Smith's brother, was they literally did a, a, removed his appendix, I think it was, and found a tumour in it. And he is now free of cancer through an appendix operation. We were praying in group, praying that nothing else happens. That once they, because they said, you better pray, pray for him because it could be in his body and it's not usual for it to start there. So it's probably somewhere else and ended up there. We prayed, he's clear. So we're going, whoa, hallelujah. That guy, Craig Lister, you saw earlier in the picture, he was given no time to live seven years ago. Pancreatic cancer, can't even give you a prognosis, forget it. You're pretty much not going to last a week or two. He's still around. He's still testifying. He's still sharing. 
So whether God answers and these are exciting or God doesn't, we should have a passion and an excitement for praying for miracles amongst our church. That so we would hear about people, the deaf being able to hear, the blind being able to see, heart conditions getting fixed, even that the dead might be raised. If we have a passion for that, and I hope we do, I hope we do have a passion to pray for that, <clears throat> when confronted with anyone that you care for, we would pray that we might see a miracle. Well, my point is that much of Scripture refers to those things not as physical. They talk about, it talks about being blind to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded them, blinded their minds, blinded the minds, sorry, of the unbelievers. Deafness, deaf to hearing the truth. Matthew 13.15 For his people's hearts had grown dull, has grown dull, and their ears can barely hear. Heart conditions, Ephesians 4.18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of their hearts. Dead in our sins, Corinthians 2.13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, God has made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. I want you to think about, me to think about, obviously prepping this, and I'm thinking about people I care about. People I care about who don't know the Lord, who don't know the hope that is being given to us, who don't know there is salvation for the consequences of our sins. Think about them. Think about, are they gospel blind? They just can't see it. Are they gospel deaf? They just don't hear it. Are they gospel hard-hearted? They're just bitter and resistant to it. Or are they gospel dying or dead? They just feel nothing whatsoever. Or maybe a combination of those things. And shortly, with the same passion and conviction, if they were physically suffering, we should be praying for their salvation and their souls. As if they were physically saying, would you pray for my deafness? You would go, amen. But those that are spiritually deaf, gospel deaf, being able to pray for them. I also want to remind ourselves of something, because this is worth eternal life. Uh, Dan Townley did something years and years ago, three years ago, maybe said, get out your phone, do you remember this, Dan? And put in a reminder of the person on your heart that just will pop up every day and just remind you, keep praying. Because there is this thing in the Bible about praying ceaselessly for things. We give it about two weeks and we say, it isn't working. See? But actually, the word ceaselessly, you can imagine, is, is saying, come on, let's just see where your heart is. Sometimes we see answers very quickly, sometimes we don't. But it's that ceaseless praying. And he said, put a reminder in of that name and just let it pop up every morning or whatever the time is. Maybe it's lunchtime for you when you might have a chance to pray. Up it pops. I keep praying for that person that they might see or hear or have their heart softened or come alive in Christ. So I'd encourage you to do that. I know my mum, because many of you will know my mum was the person who kind of got me into the church, physically got me in the building. But Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, is the one that kind of did the work in me and Jesus came alive to me and I'm here today because of that 27 years ago. I had no interest in that. I was deaf, blind and probably, you know, hard-hearted. I was all of those things. Just wasn't interested. Like, okay, mum, just because you're lovely and I love you because you're my mum, I'll come with you to your club uh, and just, well, have dinner afterwards. Of course, my brother gets saved there and then I keep going and next thing you know, here I am. I'm an elder of a church, which is, which is a story in itself. But she got others involved too. I know she did. She would have prayed for me every single day for years. She was a Christian for like four years before me and my brother came to faith. And just so you know the story, she, she died 
um, six months later from cancer. God's gr- I can see God's grace in that. You will see your sons come to faith that I'm taking you home. She was 52. I mean, so even in all that, I can tell you stories of God's grace in her life and my life. But the point of all that is that she prayed unceasingly for me because she loved me and she cared about me. And she would have got other people praying too. You, you bet your bottom dollar. She wasn't doing it alone. She would have been talking to people in her small group, probably asking them to keep praying for my son, keep praying for my sons. And we both came to faith from nowhere. So I'm going to give us a moment. Can we, Aaron, is Aaron still in the room? You able to play? Can we just, I think it'd be good just to have a, a minute. Yeah, we're okay. Um, just to play Amazing Grace, not sing it. I just wouldn't mind you playing it. And think about Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Firstly, it's the sound. Okay, you have to hear it. And then it has the line about, I was once was blind, but now I see. We were blind. I was blind. You were blind. Now, some of you may have been raised in a Christian family, and therefore saying, I didn't have that day when it all... But I bet you've got gospel stories of what God's done in your life. When you met your wife or you got that moment in your life where things really changed for you. It's not limited to just salvation stories. Gospel stories are the stories of give a reason for the hope that is in you. So what I'd like to do, just while he's playing, playing is, is just, we'll do this, I wouldn't say silently, but there's no need to shout out. But just a moment, maybe a minute, of just praying for the people that God is placing on your heart, saying, I know they're spiritually, I know they're gospel deaf, gospel blind, gospel hard-hearted, tried and they just resist so firmly, or they're just dead to it. They're just not interested in anything spiritual. Any of those or a combination of those, let's just take a minute. Pray to God for that person that's on your heart now.